0: Welcome back, fantastic friends and fans, to the 13th episode of the FanCast at Four podcast. My name is Dan Bettenhausen, and I'm your host as we venture into the what-ifs of Marvel's first family. who will be appearing in phase six of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As we wait to hear who will be behind the camera for the Fantastic Four's introduction, we still can explore what it would be like if a different director was behind the camera, and who might they cast. If you are new to the podcast and want to hear a brief history of the Fantastic Four, you can check out our first episode, our guest Pat Bolfamonte provides a breakdown of each of the characters now let's dive right in and meet this episode's guest and see what they have in store for us for this episode I'm excited to have my friend Zach McDonald join us Zach welcome to the podcast please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself
1: yeah sure I mean <laughs> um there's not a ton to know about me I'm a pretty uh, pretty average guy I, uh, I'm an engineer by trade, but a bit of a, a movie buff. Um, actually, I say a movie buff. I'm a movie buff compared to the people in my everyday life. You know, as as I've gotten more into movies, I've been put around um, what I would consider actual movie buffs, and they've sort of revealed to me how little I know about movies. But anyways, I'm happy to be here to, uh, to talk a little bit.
0: You know, without spoiling who we might be talking about later, so maybe avoid their their films. What are some What are some movies that you do like that you gravitate to?
1: Okay, I mean, people who do know me know that I am a diehard Fast and Furious fan. Um, I have been involved in some other shows regarding uh, the Fast and the Furious. I mean, you know, every single one of them, even the spin-offs, big fan. But then other than that, like, I'm a big sci-fi guy. Stuff like Arrival, Dune... I mean, Dune is sort of like a a, a pinnacle in both sci-fi literature yeah. and um, movies for me. I don't know. I mean, comedies. I, I don't get into horror type stuff very much, but generally, sci-fi, fantasy, that type of stuff, I'm I'm pretty big into.
0: You mentioned I know we we, have, we share an affinity for the Denis sci-fi films, and I, you're also yeah. a big Ex Machina fan, right? Oh that's, yeah, I love, love Ex Machina.
1: I yep, Annihilation.
0: You yeah, know, I Garland think stuff. I think we've
1: kind of seen this sort of resurgence or sort of like um, golden era of sci-fi in probably the last decade or so. That has been pretty inspiring.
0: Yeah, yeah. Two directors that you've mentioned there, when Denis Villeneuve and Alex Garland, certainly are two that I usually see the films that they make, regardless of genre. But they certainly made some pretty great sci-fi films lately. Yeah with that said don't want to keep listeners waiting let's uh let's talk about who this director is that we will be talking about this TV and film director is an American filmmaker and writer who specializes in mystery and sci-fi dramas considered controversial by a sect of a popular film franchise's fan base this director is not afraid to subvert expectations when telling a story he has five films in his filmography with a sixth releasing this year he is also considered to have directed three of the best episodes of the hit TV series Breaking Bad. Additionally, he has been nominated for one Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. This week, we are featuring Ryan Johnson. Zach, when you hear the name Ryan Johnson, what comes to mind?
1: Um, you know, it's funny. You mentioned, uh, I, I think, what you say. You said he's a like drama, mystery, drama, sci-fi director, something along those lines. When I think of him, I think of somebody who just sort of like grabs a genre and just does his own thing with it totally totally. you know so i mean he's only has five movies but each one of those has a really unique Um, sort of perspective and a a unique genre um, that he's playing with. And it's kind of been different each time. I think, you know, with Glass Onion coming out, this is the first time we're going to see him sort of go back to the well with anything that he's doing. I will say, you know, I I definitely think of, there's sort of like an intellectualism to the movies that he makes. They, you can expect that they're always going to have some type of twist or turn or reveal or something. So um, that's one thing that I really like about what he does. But then you also mentioned he's he kind of uh, he's known for subverting expectations, right? So some people see that negatively. I see that most of the time pretty positively. If I go in to see a genre movie, there's a good chance that I want to see it try and do something a little bit different or give a little twist on that genre. Yeah,
0: just, despite what people say, I don't think his goal going is is to say, "Oh, I'm taking this genre and I'm just gonna." screw with it to screw with it but he does have a point of view in all these movies that he's makes and I'm glad we have someone like him willing to take chances willing to share stories that while we will be talking about a big franchise tentpole he is going to tell the story in that world that he wants to tell and he's not going to be so beholden to convention and I think that's what makes him great
1: yeah I I agree 100% when I say he's subverting expectations like you said it's not about sort of undermining the the the, uh, the genre. It's about sort of making you see it maybe in a different way or sort of being creative with the way that he plays with the tropes or with the stereotypes of that genre.
0: Or even a critique of it, like a purposeful sure. critique of it. Like, again, we will be getting into one specific film that I know you and I both are fond of, but he is willing to give a critical eye to the world that he is telling a story in, for better or worse. And I think... Of the four films we're going to talk about, I think it's been overwhelmingly for the better. So speaking of his films, now going to get into the segment we call Four Fantastic Films. The first film I want to talk about is his introduction into the film world with 2005's Brick. This is a high school mystery film, but stylized and through the lens of your classic neo-noir film with, with drugs, murder, mystery, all wrapped into one, led by... A really strong performance by joseph joseph gordon levitt zach thoughts on the movie brick
1: yeah i mean this is a movie that on its surface it's kind of an insane concept like if somebody like the the description you just gave doesn't like totally do justice to just how absurd it is because it is set in a high school and you have a uh, uh, crime bosses, if you will, who live with their mothers and, you know, have to deal <laughs> with that situation. And you've got, you know, uh, kids talking about where they're eating lunch that day. And you've just got all these weird, like superficial elements to it that are like, no, this is a high school setting, but they play it incredibly straight as a noir right like they don't let any of those things those things are there to sort of like set the stage but they don't really distract you from the story that's actually uh, uh, unfolding which is it's it's kind of bizarre in it's setup, but you know if you kind of just uh, let it wash over you and 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 take it for what it is it ends up being this really um, topsy-turvy, sort of takes you all over the place. And then at the end, you know, if you've been able to stick with it, the reveals and sort of the way it plays out is is actually quite enjoyable.
0: Yeah, you have kind of two films working in tandem. You have this teen drama and you have this noir. And both have their own their tropes and dramas. And somehow the crossing of the wires between the two, you have maybe twist in the noir aspect that feels like it should be part of the teen film and vice versa. And it's amazing how the the ties kind of bind and its connective tissue between these two genres works, but in the strangest way. And as we were kind of talking before we started recording, the, the most interesting thing about this movie, I think, is the use of the dialogue. It is played very much like a noir without like the the kind of classic old detective Accents, I'd say.
1: Yeah. I mean, to that point, yeah, the 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 accents are not there, right? They speak like, I don't know, like you would expect a high schooler in 2005 to talk, but they don't use the words you would expect a high schooler in 2005 to use, right? They're speaking really quickly. They're saying, they're using all kind, kinds of weird slang that doesn't really make sense. They're calling cops bowls and giving nicknames to alcoholic beverages and, you know, talking about uh, speaking in code and all these different things. And, and it seems like everybody's kind of in on the game also, which is kind of interesting. Like, it doesn't matter which crowd you're from. Everybody is sort of part of this noir system, if you will. And it, it, it like I said before, it's kind of just absurd and bizarre. But again, some, somehow it, it manages to work.
0: And I think it's a credit to Johnson as both a director and a writer to have this dialogue play out, but also garner the performances from his actors so there isn't that wink and nod to what's going on they're playing it totally straight to what's on the page and I think it's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This was his, well, I mean, this is directorial debut. So obviously this is his first time working with, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who he would end up working with a few more times. Right. Um, Noah Segan, same thing. So he, I, I think he clearly made the people on set comfortable. Like they had a good time. A lot of the people he worked with here, he's worked with again. So yeah, I, I think you see that come through with the performances is, you know, how, how well he
0: directed those actors in the scenes. Totally agree. Uh, for the second film, we are going to jump over 2008's The Brothers Bloom to 2012 for his first, I'd say, true sci-fi action film in Looper. Again, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt, among others. Looper, about this these hitmen, I believe from Kansas City, who ultimately, when they're done, they're retired, they have to go back and kill their older selves to, as they, I think the term is, close the loop, mind you, and a bunch of crazy stuff ensues in this movie. But again, it's another very original sci-fi concept, uh, not quite dystopian world, but we are set in a world in the future where time travel is possible and things get grittier and darker. And again, another film he wrote that I think just knocks it out of the park.
1: You know, this is the point in his career where he kind of starts hitting on people's radars, you know, not a lot of people saw brick, I think the people that did really enjoyed it, but it wasn't like some breakout hit by any means. Um, The Brothers Bloom, same thing, not a super popular movie. It's a movie I like, but again, not very popular. Looper was the first time where it was was a bigger budget movie, got a lot of people into the seats, got people talking about what it was. Obviously, it was an incredibly interesting concept. You've got big names like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis and Emily Blunt. So that's going to attract a lot of people. And here's what I'll say. This is, in my opinion, the weakest of Ryan Johnson's catalog, but I still do enjoy it quite a lot. I think it runs into some trouble with the time travel aspects, like at certain points he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. And it, it just doesn't work at certain points, but you know, if you, if you sort of roll that back and you just sort of think about the concept of this original idea of, you know, these future mob bosses who can basically get away with like the perfect murder, right. They send somebody back in time, they get shot. There's no body for cops to find in the future. The person in the past is committing a murder you know, who that they only know about that no one has ever seen. And for all anyone else knows that person is still alive in the present day anyway. And then at the end of it all, like you said, you close the loop, you send that assassin back to themselves and then they get killed by themselves in the past. So the only person that's even aware of these murders has now just killed themselves and closed the <laughs> loop. It's like the perfect crime, right? It's it's, right. it's like really intelligent way to go about that. And then, you know, the, the way the story plays out also with Bruce Willis, you know, he plays the um the older version of Joe in this movie. Um, him getting away and sort of the consequences his actions have on the future and the way that plays out is pretty fun. But again, we just get in trouble sometimes with the actual logic of the time travel.
0: Yeah, I, I know that's something that we looking at like an end game. You have you have questions and concerns about how that functions in the universe and the greater MCU. So yeah, if to your point, if you're willing to kind of forego the the logic the science behind the time travel i am with you i think it's a great movie but yeah if, if that's something that kind of eats at you a little bit i could see why it's lower on your list of his films
1: yeah there's actually a scene in this movie where young joe and old joe they're sitting together at a diner and you know bruce willis old joe says You know you're thinking about the time travel right now, aren't you? Right, and he's like, "Don't think about it." In reality, that's not that's not old Joe talking to young Joe. That is Ryan Johnson talking to the audience. He's basically telling you, right, like the time travel is just a device to make everything else work. Don't worry about the logic of the time travel, which. I think that's fine to, to attempt to do that. For me, there's just too many instances where you're visualizing the interplay of the past and the future together. And there's some inconsistencies to it that sort of just draws attention to it in my mind. So I can't really just ignore the logic a lot of the time. I mean, I will say outside of that though, like... I thought we had a lot of really good performances in this movie. Emily Blunt is really great as Sid's mother or adopted mother or guardian, whatever exactly she is. And, you know, obviously Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis sort of playing two versions of the same character with wildly different experiences in life is,
0: is pretty fun. And extremely believable that the two of them could have been the same person.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know who uh, who was in charge of casting on this, but that was a, a pretty good job there. Um, and then each one of them were able to sort of portray that in a way that was believable, so.
0: Definitely. Also get great performances, Paul Dano, uh, Garrett Dillahunt, Jeff Daniels, I think, uh, come to mind as well. So well-cast film, really interesting. Again, De- Jeff Daniels in kind of this villain role that you don't typically see him in was really fun to see. Fun movie, and if you haven't seen it, really recommend it. Yeah, for sure. Let's get to the uh, the big one, I'd say. His third film, or I guess his fourth film, but the third film we're talking about, 2017's Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. I'm just going to open the floor to you, Zach, to talk about this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, earlier when you asked me about what types of movies I like and maybe some things that I like, I intentionally didn't mention Star Wars, but Star Wars is like the pinnacle this is the franchise this is the thing that i like care most about in the world of of cinema and filmmaking and ryan johnson with the last jedi was somehow able to take something that i have this deep deep passion for and elevate it to sort of unseen levels i thought what he was able to accomplish in you know especially in the eighth entry into a franchise actually i suppose it was technically the ninth entry the eighth entry into the mainline saga okay i guess there was a cartoon movie too 10th entry but eighth (laughs) entry of the mainline (laughs) saga (laughs) Um,
0: to to sort
1: of take something like that that has such a storied history and elevate it and sort of enforce me to change the way i think about it change the way i think about certain characters is is pretty miraculous. You know, we talked about this before, you know, subverting expectations and how some people may see that as sort of like a slight towards the genre. I don't see it that way at all, right? I see it as giving me a chance to find a new way to appreciate something that I already know that I love. And sort of the way he's able to take some of these, you know, typical tropes of Star Wars, whether it be between Kylo and and Rey, or Luke and Rey, the mentor-mentee, or the protagonist antagonist roles and sort of flip those on their head and i don't know it's he he somehow made something that was familiar and appropriate yet so different and so compelling all at the same time it's one of if not my favorite movie ever made the the night that i saw that was like the common meme like i was i was shook or something right <laughs> that's how i felt after seeing that movie i was shook
0: and just from a a movie making standpoint this film is gorgeous oh yeah it's beautiful easily easily the most visually stunning Star Wars movie and just visually stunning movie that I regularly watch and I am I mean really I'm with you top to bottom with this movie certainly there's stuff about it it's not a perfect movie to me but it's certainly in this world one that I appreciate near the top uh I still think New Hope is Probably I don't see that ever going. And I will admit, just because it was the first, it what started things off. So I think it's just going to hold the number one spot, but Last Jedi is certainly in competition for that 2-3 spot. Like I said, the stuff on CantoBite, I think, has more of an issue of execution than storytelling. Like, I think what they were trying to do there had a purpose, and I was down for what they were trying to say. There were just issues with some of the means of telling that. Some of the more, I'll say, prequilly aspects with like BB-8 didn't really sit right with me. Some of the uh, the bunny horses, like, okay, don't don't need all of that. But the the strengths of this movie outshine the Canto Bite stuff so much for me that it's it's a movie that if it's on TV, if if I'm bored one day, it's always in consideration to put on. I think a lot of people's issues are with Luke, and I think this is the most interesting version of Luke Skywalker that we get in any of the movies, I guess I can understand and appreciate you wanting your hero to be your hero. But as someone who loves character development, seeing Luke get knocked down and then have to pick himself back up again is way more interesting and makes me appreciate the character way more than just Luke going all like powerful Jedi in this trilogy
1: yeah you mentioned a few things in there that i want to touch on so likewise i don't think the last jedi is a perfect movie i think it is a truly incredible movie that has some of the highest highs of any movie if not the highest highs of any movie in in my opinion you know you mentioned canto bite i don't have many issues with canto bite like you said the story sort of what the what they're telling you and sort of how they're handling the character of Finn um, and and poe to a lesser extent they're all works with the themes of the movie Tonally, I think you kind of got into this with the prequelish stuff. I think tonally it's a little bit different than the rest of the movie, which kind of makes it stand out as as maybe I'm not even I'm not even sure I'd say like not good, but just different. It doesn't quite mesh with everything else quite as well as it probably should. But with regards to Luke, yeah, I mean 100%. I mean every every scene that we have Luke or Ray or Kylo to me is like as good as Star Wars gets. And, and like you said, you know, a lot of people talk about what Luke or what Ryan Johnson did to Luke in this movie, but I, I think about sort of the cards that were handed to Ryan Johnson mm-hmm. totally. um, in making this movie, right? You have the uh, final scene, well, actually, the entirety of the, movie. Um, the Force Awakens, you know, Luke has vanished and we have no idea where he is. All we know is somebody messed something up and he peaced out, right? And we get to the end and we see he's by himself on this island. And, and those are the cards that Ryan Johnson was dealt. He had to figure out a way to make that make sense, but not only make sense, but also do it in a way that is interesting, that is compelling, that, that says something. And to do what he did and basically to have Luke take himself out of the fight because he sees this sort of cycle of good and bad and, and sort of what it means for the Jedi to be training these people. And to turn that into to such like a powerful story element within this film and to to be able to get like that scene between Luke and Yoda, like it, it, if, if that's, you know, if everything was set up just so we could get that scene, like it's all worth it, but, yeah. oh, and, yeah. but even so, like it was also good on its own anyway. And then to, to sort of culminate with Luke being like the most Jedi, any Jedi has ever been and sort of going out and facing down the first order in a you know a a completely like non-aggressive a very passive way but still getting done what needs to be done and and probably knowing that 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 was going to end his life right right but he knows that sort of the future of the resistance and the jedi is more important than sort of him in that moment it's incredible
0: trying to think i mean Porgs are great, too. Who doesn't oh, love a Oh, cork? yeah.
1: I didn't even get to touch on the <laughs> porgs. Porgs, the single greatest creature invention in all of Star Wars. Uh, a happy accident. I don't know if you know the story. of All the puffins flying around right, right. In, in Ireland there. And so instead of trying to CGI them all out they just add a couple scenes where they make them look like porgs instead and I have an excuse for all the puffins flying around the island so
0: you know though I, I feel for Chewbacca I'm sure a porg actually tastes probably pretty delicious you know I disagree little seasoned, don't, little. don't <laughs> eat
1: porgs <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, uh, la- last thing I want to touch on with this movie just because it is probably one of the most visually stunning shots just in the movie is I'll say the whole Holdo maneuver Admiral Holdo herself thoughts on thoughts on her the character and you know let's throw Leia in here because we also have the Mary Poppins scene that I think bug people so just yeah. kind of I'd say the things that also kind of rub some people the wrong way How, what what are your takes on so those
1: the, the, Mary, the Mary Poppins scene is one where when I say this isn't a perfect movie that is one of the scenes that I point to right so I think that the idea behind that scene is really good seeing Leia have this sort of intuitive and and you know, inner force come out of her in that moment when she needs it. I think the execution of that scene is a bit off, like seeing her sort of like pulling herself through the air. It ends up just looking a little bit weird. Like, I mean, it's called the Mary Poppins scene for a reason. It kind of just looks very (laughs) Mary Poppins ish where I think there's a, there's a way that you cut that where you see her open her eyes, see her sort of reach her hand out and maybe start moving just a little bit. And then you cut to Poe and Finn when they're running up to the door and she is like sort of collapsing at the door, right? I think we can infer what happened at that point without actually seeing it. So that's one thing. That's a pretty minor nitpick there. Holdo, I thought Holdo was great. You know, I know there's a lot of criticisms over withholding information from Poe. It's really weird stuff. I'm not sure I really get those arguments, but um, the Holdo maneuver... From a visual audio sort of standpoint, having the sound drop out in that moment is to go along with that sort of high contrast, sort of like black and blue image. Really striking. Yeah. One of like the most striking moments for me.
0: As much as I would love to make this a Last Jedi episode. I mean, we didn't we we haven't touched on like the throne. We haven't touched on Kylo or much of Kylo. Like right. Uh, there's so much and maybe for a future episode we we do a last last jedi retrospective or something but I'd i do think <laughs> i do think in the interest of time we should move on to his next film that we want to discuss and that is the 2019 Who Done It, knives out starring daniel craig as benoit blanc again you know i know your affinity for this film zach so i will i will let you have the floor and i will chime in when necessary
1: yeah you know this was a movie i was a little bit I'm, I wouldn't say nervous for, but after seeing The Last Jedi and being so impacted by that, but then also seeing sort of the reaction to that movie and the, the the detractors, I was a little bit nervous about Knives Out, about what it would bring, whether it be too off the wall or, or it causes much controversy. But yeah, I managed to see a early screening of this one and I was incredibly happy that I did. It was a brilliant uh, a movie. I think we see the relationships that he's built as a director and sort of the, his reputation as being like a fun director that people want to work for, sort of coming to fruition with this movie, with with a sort of all star cast that he's able to put together for this, and the performances he's able to get from these people, I I, I don't know for some reason like Michael Shannon always comes to my mind when I think <laughs> about this movie. He's able to play this like sinister, like evil when he's. When he's talking to marta in the hallway and sort of talking about her immigration status like the immigration status of her mother but he's also the ha- able to have these like great comedic line deliveries like um there's scenes when he's dealing with ransom you know and he's yelling i will not eat one iota of shit and it's like one of the <laughs> funniest lines <laughs> i think i've ever heard <laughs> so i mean to get that line and that scene with marta in the hallway from you know, the, the, both of those performances from, from one guy in one movie is pretty great.
0: Yeah, I, and I think this movie, for all of the crazy characters, works, one, the writing, and but two, also Daniel Craig. Him as Benoit Blanc. I mean, we, we think of this guy as James Bond, but I think arguably his best character <laughs> has been Benoit Blanc. Just the depth he goes with the accent and the, the willingness to play and subvert these these private eye detective tropes is really fascinating. And what he's able to then get out of a scene partner with these different characters, you have Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Jade Martell as the Nazi son, uh, just so many characters. And I don't want to spoil it. It's been out some time, so I don't feel too bad. I'm not going to tell you the ending, but how it ends isn't in the style of the traditional whodunit either. You kind of know who is kind of the bad guy sooner than you would expect in a mystery movie and then it still somehow finds a way to stick the landing in the end and this makes me more excited to see what he does next with glass onion
1: yeah i mean this movie is much less of a whodunit you know it's marketed as a whodunit but it really turns out to be like a well we know who did it but how did we get here you know like how done it instead of on it, right? <laughs> like, like this doesn't make any sense but then you know throughout the movie slowly things start to unravel until you know we get that sort of classic detective breakdown scene at the end where we sort of tell the story from beginning to end explaining all the beats and yeah i thought it was a pretty pretty great movie in, in my eyes number, number number two on my list from ryan johnson
0: assuming last jedi is numerous yeah yeah now. Last,
1: last jedi would be number
0: one for sure <laughs> any anything you're hoping to get not necessarily as far as just plot wise but kind of themes or elements you're hoping to see maybe stay the same or change up in glass onion
1: you know it's it's tough to say obviously i want to see something that is intelligent and thought provoking and takes us on a ride like that's really what knives out does it sort of takes you on a ride kind of both literally and figuratively we're kind of you know, there's a slow car chase that is the dumbest car chase i've ever seen or something like that <laughs> um, but that's that's mostly what i want right like i want i want great character interactions i want good creative clever characters you know in knives out they're kind of playing sort of caricatures if you will which I don't mind. I I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be bothered to see that um, in glass onion.
0: Also, if you, again, another one, if you haven't seen it, you really should. He, he makes great movies. We could, we could do a whole podcast just talking about the movies he's already made, but we are here to pitch a new movie that he will be creating about the fantastic four. With that, let's dive into our castings for a Ryan Johnson, fantastic four movie, how this works. Zach will go through his list outlining who he has playing the four main Fantastic Four characters, Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm, and then their main nemesis, Dr. Doom. Then I will go through my list. We will then pitch our films, have a brief discussion, and that will be that. Without further delay, Zach, who is your cast of a Ryan Johnson Fantastic Four film?
1: Okay, so Reed Richards, uh, Mr. Fantastic himself, for that one, I am going to go with Adam Driver. He is, you know, he's he's kind of as big of a star as, as we have, other than like Tom Cruise or something in Hollywood right now. He's a big name. He comes off of, as very intelligent in a lot of the stuff that he does, so I think he can play that. There's also... An inquisitiveness to him that we see like in the last jedi where you know the the force stuff starts happening and rays very emotional but he's very like hmm i wonder what's going on here right so i can sort of see him like that sort of tone coming out of him as sort of like a scientist or a super genius where he's figuring something out but also you know he's a leading man that's what he is so totally, totally. Um, him as reed richards makes a lot of sense to me let's see my sue storm is going to be Kelly Marie Tran. She was the lead in Ryan The Last Dragon, but also with Ryan Johnson, also in The Last Jedi. Now, what I wanted for this role, and, and this will make more sense probably once I start doing my pitch, but I kind of wanted somebody that had a fairly like bubbly personality who could portray that. I know from seeing interviews and things like that with Kelly Marie Tran, that is sort of her personality. She's funny. She's bubbly. She's very nice. And I think that would play really well with sort of the idea of Sue Storm that I think works for the movie that I'm pitching on behalf of Ryan Johnson. So yeah, Kelly Marie Tran as Sue Storm. And then for my johnny storm so you and i talked about this before johnny storm in my movie is not actually johnny storm he's johnny something other than storm he is not (laughs) the brother of sue storm and the thing about about johnny storm or johnny not storm i feel like anybody named johnny like has to be super cool right like johnny cage or johnny bravo or (laughs) you know (laughs) Right.
0: <laughs> so, That's what I think of when I think of the name Johnny. Cool, Johnny Bravo.
1: Totally. Exactly. <laughs> um so I literally was just like, "All right, who's the coolest person that has ever worked with Ryan Johnson?" And the answer to that for me is Lakeith Stanfield. Incredibly cool, incredibly good in Knives Out, incredibly good in Judas and the Black Messiah.
0: Yes, get right. Out. So
1: Get Out, yeah, incredible and in Get Out. Just all around Cool and an incredible actor. It seems like every project he touches turns out very well. So happy to have him as part of this cast as Johnny Not Storm.
0: Liking it so far.
1: Yep. Now let's see here. Ben Grimm for that one. I'm gonna go with the Ryan Johnson staple, a regular. He's been in every movie that Ryan Johnson has made. And that is Noah Segan. So not quite as high profile of an actor as some of the other ones I've cast so far, but His role in Brick as Dode pretty incredibly shows sort of this variety of being sort of a um, bit of like a goth, a a downer, kind of a a emotionally stunted individual. And based on everything I know about the Fantastic Four, I suppose we haven't talked about this yet, but I know nothing about the Fantastic (laughs) Four. So (laughs) we maybe should have mentioned that up uh, at the Eh. top. But I I know that The Thing or Ben Grimm is like, he's less thrilled about, his status as a, uh, a member of the Fantastic Four because right. of what it means for him versus everyone else. So I think Noah Segan can can portray that emotionality that that'll be needed for that. And then finally, my Dr. Doom, this is going to be Victoria Von Doom as opposed to Victor Von Doom. Awesome. And that is going to be Emily Blunt. Yeah. I really wanted somebody that could be lovingly feminine and, have that softness quality to her but still be a badass and i think emily blunt is is pretty much the perfect choice for for that role
0: i mean i think we see that in looper that that come out and also mm-hmm. i really like that casting going with kind of the subvert and subverting expectations she is a popular fan cast for sue storm along with her husband John Krasinski. So having her actually flip to be the Doom character, I find very fascinating and in line with what we've seen from Ryan Johnson, like where you see Chris Evans go from Captain America to one of the villainous characters in Knives Out.
1: Anyways, that is my yeah. cast for the <laughs> Fantastic
0: Four. No, I, I love it. Getting into my cast, I will upfront say my intention is not to subvert for subversiveness' sake. But I wanted to take characters that might, on initial appearance, not seem like the most obvious pick for the characters. So with Reed Richards, I went with an actor who hasn't gotten a lot of, really isn't a lead actor, but he is one of my favorites from no country for old men to the assassination of Jesse James he plays a Gap man in Looper um one of my favorite roles of him is in a lead role in the comedy raising hope as one of the dopey dad and that is kind of one of the characters he usually plays either kind of the doofus or kind of this suave southerny kind of cop in films so I'm going with uh the actor Garrett Dillahunt and I will try and be more explain a little more why I went with him in the pitch, but I think the dopiness and the suaveness that he has played is going to work to his advantage as Reed Richards in my movie. Now, looking at Sue Storm, I'm going with an actress who another actress I love, especially from her work in Game of Thrones as Brienne of Tarth. Uh, she plays Captain Phasma in the pr- sequel trilogy, most notably Last Jedi. with. Ryan Johnson, and that is Gwendolyn Christie. When you think of Sue Storm, usually she is this very feminine character, usually very motherly, whereas with Gwendolyn, I wanted her to be this this big, tough, kind of domineering character. So again, kind of opposite, maybe opposite of what we normally see from Sue Storm. But again, that is what you're seeing on the surface. With Johnny Storm, uh, going back to Last Jedi, I'm going to go with the character or the actor who played General Hux in Last Jedi, Domino Gleason. I think this one is probably closer to what you might see. You've seen him play these very fiery emotional characters, but you've also seen him play very kind of sullen, uh, methodical characters as well. And that is what, again, I want him to look more like that, the latter aspect, despite potentially being able to erupt in this film so I'm cheating a little bit with Ben Grimm. I'm actually going to a television series that he is directing so you know I like breaking my own rules why not (laughs) and I'm going with an actress who's been on the scene a long time has some notable roles in the American Pie films uh most recently she has made her mark in the Russian Doll series on Netflix and I'm going with Natasha Leone. Who is going to be appearing in a TV show called Poker Face that Ryan Johnson's directing. I think she has the ability to play kind of that sarcastic, tough, but also hit those emotional beats that you touched on earlier that would come with playing Ben Grimm. Finally, for my Doctor Doom, going back to Looper, he played the character Seth, who Joseph Gordon Levitt's character Joe was trying to protect early in the film, going with Paul Dano. And we've seen him play villains before, but typically they're a little more smarmy, kind of intelligent in a different way than we've seen, like a Doctor Doom. Maybe in, like the Riddler is has Doom aspects, but not as physically or maybe intimidating as you'd get from a Doom. Again, very intentional with the movie. I'm going with. I mean, Paul Dano's just a great actor. We've seen him be a great villain. Why not jump from the Batman films to to Marvel now? So any thoughts? Any anything stressed uh, stick out as weird in my cast
1: um i mean you definitely dug a little bit deeper than i did pretty clearly you know i i kind of thought about you know sort of leading men and women for the most yeah. part you know i i i do i was sort of leaning on ryan johnson as being somebody that does attract sort of like high profile talent like he has in knives out and like you were seeing him do with glass onion um so that was kind of my first instinct with with this casting but I mean, I, I don't think you would have a hard time making a great movie with the cast that you've picked there. So,
0: Well, I appreciate that. And like I said, that's not to say I don't love your cast. I think you, with the talent you have there, I think there's certainly a chemistry that would come with all those actors as well. I'm very interested to see, though, the movies that we pitch, because I think they're going to be wildly different. I think, I think probably because, <laughs> I mean. But, so despite you not knowing anything, as you said about the Fantastic Four, uh, I will ask a couple questions before you pitch your movie. First, sure. is it an origin film?
1: So the origin of the characters is present in the film. I wouldn't okay. say it's an origin film, though, because that is not the focus of the movie. Perfect. Is it part of the MCU? Um, again, sort of a cop out answer here. <laughs> I, it's not intended to be part of the MCU, but I don't think there's anything in it that disqualifies it from being in the MCU. Okay. You know, so I think multivers- it could get lo- it could get looped in eventually if somebody really wanted to. I think.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, I mean, if we can see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield get sucked in, exactly. now, why can't this movie? With that said, you know, let's hear the pitch of your Ryan Johnson Fantastic Four movie.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna preface this by saying one, I don't have a title for this movie. I don't really know what it would be called. As I've already mentioned, I don't know anything about the Fantastic <laughs> Four, so <laughs> I I did a quick Wikipedia search of the Fantastic Four uh, a couple of days ago just to kind of maybe get like a few elements that might seem important. But yeah, otherwise, here we go. So wonderful. Um, my movie is gonna sort of it's gonna do a couple time jumps. So we're going to start off in, I don't know where they go to college, some college of some sort, where Ben Grimm, Reed Richards, and Victoria Von Doom are like the three best friends. They're, they're, they're a very tight-knit group. They are all sort of like um, doctorate students or something. They're very high in their field, very um, studying the sciences, theoretical physics, and things like that. It is also the case that Reed Richards and Victoria Von Doom, they are an item. They have been together for a while They're in a fairly committed relationship, but, and then one of the key things that we see is that they're working on this problem of interstellar, like teleportation. So instant travel from, you know, from our solar system to some other solar system, right? That's like a theoretical physics problem that they've been working on together. And we see an important scene where Reed Richards and Victoria Von Doom sort of share with each other that they've kind of broken the code. They figured it out. The the issue is that they don't have the technology, they don't have the sort of infrastructure required to make this a reality. It's purely theoretical at this point. And then at some point later on, we learn about a sort of professional um, opportunity for Victoria Von Doom that she sort of toils over, but ultimately decides that's the best thing for her future. So she leaves the university, and goes and takes a job somewhere in Europe or Australia or something, somewhere where it's very difficult for her and Reed Richards to maintain their relationship. At that point, they are separated, and that's kind of like a an emotional scene for them. But they both sort of concede that it's for the best that that they do this. You know, it's an incredible opportunity for her, so they split up. So that's that's sort of the initial setup, and then we jump. We're going to jump forward like six months or something like that, where Reed Richards is. Once again, he's a doctoral student, so he's maybe in charge of teaching a theoretical physics course or something like that. On the first day of class, he meets a new student whose name is Sue Storm, played by Kelly Marie Tran. And he is there like instantly smitten with each other. They hit it off immediately. Meanwhile... In Victoria von Doom's world, she's uncovering some problem, and she's thinking—you know—she's having a hard time with her new work, and she can't quite figure out exactly how how what what the breakthrough is on this problem that she's trying to solve. And it gets her thinking about Reed and sort of the way that they were able to sort of combine their intelligence and sort of work through problems together. And she decides to drop it all. She's going to go back and reunite with Reed and make it all work again. Only to find out when she comes back that Reed and Sue Storm are now together. And she is, you know, heartbroken by this. All right, and here's where I'm going to take something that I believe I read from the Wikipedia and make it part of my movie. She is very upset, and as she leaves, she... She like shatters a glass or like a beaker or something like that. And a piece of glass comes off and and cuts her face. And she looks at herself in the mirror and she sees this cut on her face. And it makes it just that much worse for her because she sees it now as an imperfection. The person she loved has now found somebody else to love. And she is very distraught by this. and, And we see her sort of staring at this cut on her face. And it's clearly doing something to her that is not great. So that is sort of like where the whole setup of the movie sort of ends at that point. And then, so we're going to have another jump forward where we're going to go like 12 years or something like that. We're going to to do a pretty big jump here. And we're going to get to a point where Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, Sue Storm, at this point, Reed Richards and Sue Storm, they are now married. They have started a company some years back with the sole purpose of turning this sort of teleportation, this interstellar teleportation from a theoretical problem into a reality. And halfway across the world, Victoria Von Doom has decided you know, this is also the project that she's working on. She wants to sort of like as a as an FU to Reed Richards, she wants to solve this before he does. Um, and the, the trick here is that they both have all of the theoretical knowledge to make it happen. It's just which one of them has the resources or the engineering breakthroughs to make it a reality. So at some point in the lab where Reed Richards works, they need to hire somebody for a very specific task on their team, enter Johnny Notstorm. He is the person they hire for this role. He's an intelligent, he's a, like a recent college graduate or something like that. A hot shot, you know, ultra cool, but really, really knows what he's doing. And the other thing is like Reed Richards, he's like a high prolific. He's like a very prolific person. People know who he is. He has a lot of acclaim in the scientific world. Whereas Victoria Von Doom, she kind of minds her own business. She has a a business of her own, but she stays pretty low key within that business. Eventually Reed Richards has a breakthrough. He decides, you know, this is it. We figured it out. We're going to make our first attempt at interstellar teleportation. And he sets his sights on traveling to some distant planet that's next to a neutron star. So Reed Richards decides like he has it figured out finally. He's going to attempt to do his interstellar teleportation. And there's a specific neutron star that he's targeted. He's set the coordinates for. Um, he's made a big deal about it. He's made a lot of publicity. And Victoria Von Doom sees this and thinks, you know, this is like the worst thing that could happen to her. Not only did he abandon her, but now he has also defeated her in the professional realm. So she decides that she is going to sabotage his teleportation. And instead of him teleporting to a nearby planet to the neutron star, she is going to teleport them. She's going to hack into his system and change the coordinates so that he teleports directly into the center of the neutron star, killing him, killing Sue Storm and the rest of his crew, Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm. Anyways, she hires somebody to infiltrate his system. They hack in there, they upload the wrong coordinates and everything. Then we see Reed Richards the day before the test run or the the first attempt to to do his interstellar teleportation. And you see he's running a simulation and and something goes wrong with the simulation. He's not really sure what's going on. So he starts digging into it. Then, you know, see him type in writing code doing some type of jargon. And then we cut away from that. We never figure out exactly what conclusion he comes to from that. The following day there's a huge spectacle. They all get into their little teleportation spaceship. Part of this deal is you have to fly it out of the atmosphere first and then you can teleport to the next star. And just as Victoria Von Doom expects, they teleport directly into a neutron star. You see from inside the ship there's some, you know, communication happening. They're all freaking out. Something goes terribly wrong. Except almost instantly they teleport back. And they're right back where they started. Only now they have all sort of undergone some change, right? They are now the what we what we understand them to be as the Fantastic Four. So Mister Fantastic has this weird thing where his body is sort of like falling apart. He's kind of like stretching, and he doesn't really know how to control it yet. And Sue Storm is sort of like flickering in and out. She's becoming invisible, invisible, and same thing with Johnny Not Storm. He's catching on fire, then not catching on fire, but. Ben Grimm, he is just completely, he's not like the giant, the thing, like I've seen pictures of, he's not like a giant rock. I'm thinking like Game of Thrones, like the grayscale type of thing, right? He's just kind of like, almost like scarred and scab, but he is still like rock hard. So anyways, you get this big thing where they all sort of grow to learn how to use their, their powers and, you know, maybe they do some superhero stuff, but Ben Grimm is still, he's not happy about what happened to him. So him and Reed Richards, they blow up, they have a big argument. Ben Grimm blames him for what happened and for how he's kind of this monster, this freak now. And he decides to go seek out Victoria Von Doom, part of his, his trio from back in college. There were BFFs back in the day. And he wants to find her and sort of work with her instead of working with Reed Richards. And when he finds her, Oh, we missed a scene. Hold on. There's a scene after they get back where Victoria Von Doom sees that she failed and did not successfully kill them and actually sees that she made them more powerful somehow and made them even bigger celebrities where she has this sort of breakdown. She just starts smashing everything in her lab. She, you know, she like headbutts a mirror and it just that that cut that she had from earlier, now she has like her whole face is just bloodied up and torn apart and we see her then put on the mask for the first time to cover up her face. The, the traditional Dr. Doom mask that I know a lot about. Anyway, so she she puts that on and now she is, you know, Dr. Doom as we sort of traditionally know Dr. Doom. So when Bren, Ben Grimm shows up, he sees her and she hasn't been sort of out in public since this happened. So nobody knows what's going on with her. Ben Grimm eventually finds her she sort of consoles him. She says, look, you know, I had an accident too, you know, like I've been destroyed. We relate with one another. Of course, we, the audience have this sort of sense of dramatic irony. We know that in reality, it is Victoria Von Doom's fault that they went into this neutron star and got all messed up. So Ben Grimm blames Reed Richards when in reality it was Victoria Von Doom. Eventually he finds out, he goes back to Reed Richards. The only thing I know is that at the end of the movie, we see Sue Storm sort of reviewing the simulations and she uncovers that Reed Richards, when he was running his simulations the day before the trip, he was able to see exactly what was going to happen. And he knew that when they flew in there they would all be affected so he actually did know that ben grimm was going to turn into a rock man so even though he didn't cause it to happen he knew it was going to happen and he let it happen anyway and then the you know cut to black that's sort of my ryan johnson twist on the movie we find out like oh there's more to the story than what we actually what we actually saw
0: for, for someone who says they know nothing about the fantastic four i think that is a great movie truly i i like the twists and turns there i like how you changed it up and made it both to your taste and to what i think ryan johnson might do with that movie with still still within the superhero genre i could very well see the mcu doing a version like that would they probably not but i don't see it being so far removed from what we've gotten from other mcu movies that like you said it couldn't be so really well done so i hope I hope you're happy with yourself, because I think uh, you probably did better than you think you did.
1: Well, I I will say, as I was speaking it out loud, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't flesh this out anymore, because there's actually a lot here, and I feel like I've been talking for a long time.
0: So, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, don't don't sweat it. No, don't worry about it. Really, though, no, I I really enjoyed that pitch. To your castings, I can very much see all the people, especially Adam Driver, with that twist, be that character. So well done also marrying the cast you put together with the pitch you had. Appreciate it. Hopefully mine lives up to it. We were, t- again, we were talking before and you're like, ah, mine's more just like general ideas. I'm like, oh yeah, mine is too. I am a little more nervous now because mine is a little more concepts. Uh, and I think you'll see why. For my movie, it is titled Le Quatre Fantastique, A Knives Out Mystery. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So I am a actually going film. to make a dual franchise film. <laughs> yeah. I am making it will predominantly be a Knives Out franchise film with Daniel Craig returning as the lead Benoit Blanc. Without knowing the full details of what glass onion is, this is not going to be a murder mystery though. This is going to be a heist mystery. Hmm. A heist has taken place at this art gallery, this museum maybe, of four different gemstones. A blue opal that was inlaid in the rock it was discovered in. So it's like stretching through this this piece of stone. A diamond that has the highest clarity of any recorded diamond on earth. A ruby that when you look into it, you can it looks as if flames are emitting from it. It's like the, how it is cut gives the optical illusion of flames in it. And then an orange piece of meteorite that is unexplainable. It it fell from space. It is orange. It is a space rock, and that is essentially the opening of the film. You see, like the security guard notice that it's missing. He makes a call, and that's then we flash to Benoit Blanc coming in and recalling all the guest list of those who were at this gala, showcasing these gems and other aspects of the museum. So you have Reed Richards, who unbeknownst to every character, we will see flashes of him committing more thefts. His moniker is Mr. Fantastic, because he can stretch out of any sticky situation, any anything he wants to steal, regardless of how locked up it is, he can find a way to get it out. Again, we as the audience see these kind of montages here, that and that is his moniker, but no one else knows who these people are. They just know them by Mr. Fantastic did this theft. So when I do all these monikers, that is going to be the same case. You're going to be seeing flashes of past crimes they have made. With Sue Storm, the invisible woman, you see Gwendolyn Christie, and she is able to find and plan jobs where, despite her size as this big kind of domineering female, can get in, get out without being seen. Domino Gleason, arsonist, uses fire. Pretty pretty straightforward. Uses fire to cause distractions, explosions, you know, explosives to get his score. Natasha Leone, the thing, she uses brute force. Whether it's hers, her goons, her associates, mostly punch in, punch out, get what you want, leave. No one knows it's her. And then you have Dr. Doom, played by Paul Dano. I will spoil it a little bit here because I'm not fleshing out the plot, because I'm not a mystery writer. I don't have the time or capability to put all these loose ends. If I did, I'd be a much, I'd be writing a novel right now, to be quite honest with you. But I'm kind of going a reverse Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects, where this character is just this smarmy kind of slinky man, but he is going to be blamed for these heists. Everyone thinks, oh, this was the work of Doctor Doom. He must have been the one who did it. He's not. Some other characters that we have, because we need, for our Knives Out film, we need a full cast here. We have other characters who are known as thieves in the Marvel canon. We're going to have Felicia Hardy, also known as Black Cat, most notably in the Spider-Man comics and franchise. I have Billy Lord playing her. Uh, We have Scott Lang Ant-Man, so this is very much not an MCU film. And I have Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing this version of Scott Lang. We're going to get our first X-Men here with Remy LeBeau, also known as Gambit, and I have Noah Segan playing Remy LeBeau here. This one was the toughest one of the ancillary cast here, because there was no one who I really thought could pull off the Southern charm. And then he popped him like he he probably could do it, seeing some of his some of his other roles prowler aaron davis again from the miles morales era of spider-man uh lakeith stanfield another lot of spider-man villains in this one we have a character called the chameleon Dmitry smyrdikov played by adam driver in a i'll say there's more of a cameo role and then bullseye who only goes by the name lester played by adrian brody So throughout this film, you have Daniel Craig kind of trying to piece all these together, talking to all these characters, seeing about their motivations, what they were doing. And he's starting to kind of piece together who all of them are, knowing somehow through his extensive background and knowledge that they are thieves. He just has to find which thief did it. And then comes out that the Fantastic Four... So our four main anti-heroes in this situation because they're not good guys they are in fact villains in this movie treat it and each take responsibility for one of the gems the blue one mr fantastic takes the diamond kind of represents invisibility for Sue mm-hmm. storm so on and so forth they each in their own way steal the gem come together for this plan they had kind of ocean's 11 style heist right. plan right Yep, uh, and then blame it on Paul Dano's Doctor Doom. And that kind of happens early, like we kind of get in the first Knives Out movie. And then it takes Benoit Blanc figuring out and trying to piece other things together that have happened throughout the film. That if I were a better mystery writer, I'd be telling you right now how he got there and then figuring out it was the Fantastic Four. But is it in time? Do they get away? Who knows? You'll just have to watch this fake movie to find out. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> but my, my whole goal with this one was to not only focus on the Fantastic Four, do it in this kind of Knives Out world, do something different, because I've been pitching a lot of superhero movies yeah, yeah, on yeah. the show, yep. but also give you a a bevy of characters from the Marvel canon that we haven't talked about. We're also thieves. We're also interesting characters that can play off of this this mega cast that we've gotten in the Knives Out movies before and have Daniel Craig chewing more scenery with this big cast.
1: Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty incredible to me. I'm a sucker for heist movies. I'm a sucker for, you know, mystery movies. Yeah, I love what you did with the monikers there using, you know, like Mr. Fantastic. That's very much like a heist style move there to have, you know, some some famous thief give themselves a nickname or something like that. Yeah, I love it.
0: Great. No, I'm, I'm glad. I, I was having fun putting the bones of it together and sound like a broken record here. I wish I had the creative wherewithal and the time, not just three days worth of right, time yep. to put this together. Like I said, and even a, even a month, I don't know if I would be able to flush out everything that would need to put a full-fledged mystery together. So I wanted to get the the outline, the, the the bones, the structure of this movie together. And I had a lot of fun doing it. So I'm I'm glad you responded well to it.
1: Yeah. And I mean you actually did something that I forgot to do in mine, which I should have done, which is put Joseph Gordon Levitt somewhere in it. <laughs> I mean, he's you know he's he pops up in basically all of Ryan Johnson's movie. I don't know if he's in the brother's Bloom at all, but the rest of them he's either starring in them or you you get him in there somewhere just to make sure he's there. And I I suppose in my movie he'd be there somewhere. I just don't know.
0: Yeah. We'd find a spot for him, but you know, that covers it. I think we've had a great conversation so far. Great cast, great pitches, great Last Jedi conversation. So, you know, let's end it on a high note and uh, close things out. Unless you have anything else you want to touch on?
1: No, this is a lot of fun.
0: Great. Well, that is our show. Those are our castings, our pitches for a Ryan Johnson-helmed Fantastic Four movie. We hope you, the listeners, enjoyed our exploration into this what-if scenario. I want to make a special note that the Fancast It 4 podcast is hosted for free on Anchor, we encourage you, if you have your own podcast idea, to check it out. It is a great resource for getting your idea off the ground. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you are listening on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate you hitting that subscribe button and commenting with who your Ryan Johnson fan cast would be, on what your thoughts on our pitches were, and on which director you would want to see next. I want to thank Matt Hart and Maddie Gunner for the fantastic theme music they created for us, I certainly want to thank you Zach for being a guest today. I hope you had fun. And please tell our listeners where they can find you.
1: Um you can find me on Twitter at hi my name is Zach N. I don't tweet a lot, but if I do it's probably something about Mick Griddles. Um <laughs> you can also find me on friend of the show Pat Bolfamonte's channel The Montyverse occasionally doing reviews or reactions.
0: You can find him at The Montyverse on Twitter, YouTube, check him out. Uh, Does a lot of great reactions, reviews, a lot of Ninja Turtle content as well for you Turtle fans. But that is our show. Thank you all so much for listening. I am your host, Dan Bettenhausen. And on behalf of my guest, Zach McDonald, I hope you all have a fantastic day.